Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. There's something special about being in the room with our, our family. You are our family, and uh, I, I'm enjoying greeting everyone and, and seeing you here today. Now, I figure that this crowd may have a pretty good idea about what Christmas is all about, okay? And we have all the kids in the room, and so I just want to start out with something kind of unusual for church, but we're going to start out with a quiz. You ready for a quiz? I just want to test your Christmas acumen, and I'm going to need you to answer me, okay? You're going to talk back to me. So uh, we have here uh, figures from a manger scene, and so I, w- I want to just ask you, uh, how many, uh, what is the name of this baby? You got it. It is. It's Jesus. And, and this is the mother of Jesus. Does anybody know her name? Yes, you got it. We, I tell you what, we've got some smart kids in the room. This is the husband of Mary. What's his name? Joseph. Very good. Now, here's a guy back here, and he's carrying a sheep. And he came to the manger because some angels told him to look for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. What is his occupation? Yeah, you got it. Now, this guy over here, man, he's all dressed fancy because he is a wise man from the east and he's bringing gifts to Jesus. I just gave away the answer. What is he? Who is he? Wise man. Very good. And then this right here, there was plenty of these going around at Christmas. And this is an angel. You got it. And then this guy right here, what is the name of this WWE wrestler? Oh, oh, wait a second. That's really not part of the story, is it? For the, for the, thank you. But actually, it's Triple H. It's James' favorite wrestler. He has nothing to do with Christmas. But I thought it'd be fun to put him up there anyway. So we know what happened at Christmas. We know the details, the characters, and it's, it is such a wonderful thing to remember. I mean, someone told me, I, I, I said to someone today, I'm not going to tell people anything they haven't heard before. And they said, that, that's okay. It's like watching an old movie. And we do that at Christmas, don't we? It's familiar, but it's so important. We got to see it again. We know that Jesus came, but the question is, why did he come? What was he doing? And the answer is, he came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. You know, one of the favorite games of kids is the game hide and seek, right? And the cool thing about hide and seek is that there's an it I don't know how they got that name, but it was the it. Who's the it? You're the it. Okay. So the it goes and closes their eyes and counts, and everybody else runs and hides. And the goal is to not be found. Now, the funny thing about hide and seek, though, is if you're playing with a bunch of kids, and nine out of ten have been found, and nobody can find the tenth guy, and that that's you, oftentimes what they do is, They quit the game. They stop looking for you. You won, 
but you're not important enough for them to keep looking for you. It's kind of a sad game. You know, the story of the Bible is that Adam and Eve in the garden, they got lost from God. And when he came to look for them, they hid from him. Oh, they wanted to be found. But things had broken. But the story of Christmas is that God still looks for the lost. There's actually a chapter in the Bible, um, Luke chapter 15, and it it is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it shows the heart of God. And why did Jesus come and why did we have Christmas? And it begins with with these words that that, um, all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. So there's Jesus, man, when he talked, when he preached, he was he was, people wanted to hear him. And the kind of people that would come were not, not necessarily the church-going crowd. They were the tax collectors and the sinners. And, you know, these are the people that had struck out. And when they would go to the temple, they kind of hung their head because they weren't like the expert rule keepers of the world. And they were looked down on. And it's proven right here because in the second verse it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the people that are good at church, They complain, saying, Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. So here's the problem. Jesus, you you receive sinners and you eat with sinners? I mean, where are your standards? Who are you here for? And then Jesus tells three successive parables, and it's the parables of the lost. It's likely that this crowd has heard these before, but I want to repeat them. Jesus is saying, you know what I've I've come to do? I have come to seek and to save the lost. You Pharisees and Sadducees, you think you've got it right, but you know the truth is you're actually the ones in big trouble. These people that think that they are lost and know they're lost, I'm coming for them because I am God who has from the beginning been seeking the lost. And you can hide, but I'm still coming for you. The lost sheep. So Jesus, I'm gonna just paraphrase. Jesus tells the story of a shepherd that had 100 sheep and he took them out into the pasture and that night he brought brought them back home and he's counting them out. There's 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, Where's that one guy? Number 100 is not there. Now, honestly, 99 out of 100 is a pretty good ratio, don't you think? But the shepherd doesn't do ratios. The shepherd is imagining what could happen to that sheep. And he, he had like a personal relationship with these sheep. I mean, he was their shepherd. He was there to protect them and, and make sure they got stu- food to eat, I guess grass to eat. Um, food to eat, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> water to drink. And he leaves the 99 and he says, I'm going to go find him in the dark. This guy wandered away from the fold. 
he got distracted and went somewhere he wasn't supposed to. And he got lost in his distraction and he turned around and, and everybody's gone. And there's no way he can get back to the fold. I gotta go get him. I'm his shepherd. I'm gonna go find him. And so the story is that the shepherd goes and he finds him. You know what? This is so like us, isn't it? A lot of times people don't intend to get lost. Have you ever gotten lost and you didn't really intend to? You just, you just got distracted. You just went after stuff that you didn't know about. And, and what, is, what does God think about you? He's like a shepherd who says, they belong to me. They made a mistake. They did the wrong thing, but I'm going to go get them. And the shepherd goes in the night into the wilderness, finds the sheep, picks them up, brings them back, puts them in the fold, and then throws a party. The second story is the story of a lost coin. Now, we don't get that because we don't actually use coins all that much anymore, do we? But in that day, the way that you, you, you sort of <clears throat> kept your wealth were, were invaluable coins. I mean, there wasn't PayPal. There wasn't online banking. You know, it was a whole different world back then. And the story is a lady that she had 10 valuable coins. And one of them kind of got knocked off the table or it got lost. And she found the nine. Once again, 90% is not a bad ratio. We're usually pretty happy with that. If you're a student, you probably are going to be okay and graduate with 90%. But once again, that's not how God works. So she stops everything, tears the house apart, literally. She sweeps the house looking for the lost coin because it's valuable to her. You know, this Christmas season, James and I kind of ended up in a Hallmark movie. Let me explain my, what, what I'm saying is we were sent to the grocery store with a list of ingredients, a list of things to purchase for a party we were having. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a list guy. I'm that guy walking around looking, where in the world is the Parmesan cheese? I have no idea where. Okay. So, James and I went over to the neighborhood Walmart next to Sam's on Sunshine. We pulled in. We're ready with our list. We hop out of the car. We start headed toward the door of Walmart. And as we're walking, I notice this elderly couple walking around the parking lot, like looking for something. And so, you know, they were kind of in our path. And so I went up to them and I said, did, did you lose something? Are you looking for something? And they, they said, yeah, last night we were here shopping and when we got home, his wedding ring wasn't on him anymore and we think maybe he lost his wedding ring here in the parking lot. And that man said to me, man, I've been wearing that ring for 60 years. You know, the value of that wedding ring was way more than the value of the gold in that ring. So we got, I said, well, we'll, we'll try to help you and we looked and looked, couldn't find it. 
James and I did, and, and, and finally I said, I'm so sorry, I, I, we, I don't seem to be able to find it as you aren't. And they said, well, you know, my name, I'm Dr. Wood, and, and actually she's a doctor too, so we're Dr. and Dr. Wood. I said, oh, we have been missionaries for more than 50 years. I said, well, it turns out I'm, I'm actually a pastor in town. Oh, that's so great. Okay, we had a little moment there. And then, but we couldn't find it. I mean, lost is lost, right? So I went inside, got my list. After a few minutes, James and I come walking out with our stuff, pushing the car, get to our car. You know, the, the, the employee at Walmart who was in charge of the parking lot was right there. And so I went up to him and I says, hey, by the way, there was an elderly couple here that was looking for a wedding ring. He's been wearing that ring for 60 years. Have you found anything? He says, no, I haven't. I says, well, just so you know, his name is Dr. Wood. And I'm, if you see it, it belongs to somebody. And he says, all right. And so we hop in the car. I pull out of my parking lot. At this point, he is just in front of my car talking to another employee. And as I back out, he goes like this. And he reaches down and he picks up the lost ring. I said, oh my. Now I'm telling you, I had already started, pray, been, started praying for this couple. And she's, she told me she had been praying that they could find it. So I went up to him and I said, well, if you'll trust me, um, I'll, I'll try, try my best to, to find the owner. I know their name. I know the last name. And then I got in the car. He, he gave me the ring. I got in the car and I thought, okay, great. I don't know anything about these people. Dr. Wood, that's all I know. What are you thinking, Eddie? They were missionaries. I'm going to assume they were with the Assemblies of God. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making some assumptions, just trusting the Lord will guide me. So I called my wife. I call everybody I knew who was with the Assemblies of God. Hey, listen, there's this old couple. They lost the ring. I found the ring. It's Dr. and Dr. Wood. That's all I know. They were missionaries for 50 years. Um, let me know if you know who they are. So then I call my wife, and my wife calls the neighbor of my sister-in-law, Karen, who they are active missionaries with the Assemblies of God. And now we have Kathy and Cindy. It's Sherlock and Sherlock with their computers open, looking for everything they can find. Who in the world is Dr. and Dr. Wood? And by the next day in the afternoon, I had the name of Dr. Paul Wood and his wife. I had the phone number and I had the address. And I call them up and I say, hey, listen, um, turns out, I found your ring, and can I bring it to you? They said, sure. I drove over to their house, not very far from here, and I walked in, and I handed this man his ring that he had lost, that he'd worn for 60 years. And she said to me, you are like our angel. That's where I felt like it was in a Hallmark movie. That was the moment for me. You could go buy another ring, but it would never be like the first one. You know what God says? Um, I, I value each one of you so much that if, uh, if you get lost, I'll tear the house apart and I'll sweep every nook and cranny until I find you. Because I am always in pursuit of you. You know, um, the last one is the parable of the lost son, which is probably the most famous parable 
spoken by Jesus. And it goes like this. A certain man had two sons. A younger said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, this is the most scandalous story. Here you have a man with two sons, the younger son who is fed up being in the father's house and following the father's rules. He knows he could do a better job at living than the father. If, he was, if only he was in charge. So he does this incredibly audacious thing before his father's dead. He goes to him and he says, I want my inheritance now. And the father hears him. Now, it's so interesting that the father does not use his wealth to manipulate his son toward loyalty. Did you notice that? No. If if you don't want to be with me, I'm going to give you your freedom. This father, in order to come up with the inheritance of his son, because an inheritance is part of, of the working machine of the family, if you know what I'm saying. It's not like just money on the table. So what does he do? He has to go in his village, and he, it's likely that this meant 30% of everything that the father had. And so he, he had to go around the village and sell off stuff. So the whole village would have to have become aware that this young son of his, this rebellious, audacious son, makes a request that is unthinkable. Dad, I wish you were dead, and I can't wait that long. Give me my inheritance now. And so all of the village is incensed as the father sells off portions of his business to come up with the cash to give his insolent youngest son. And the son takes it. And he goes to a far place. And he lives what, however he wants. He squanders his inheritance in riotous living. And you can just fill in the blanks. You know what that's about. But as always happens, it didn't work out good. The money was gone. When the money was gone, the friends were gone. And then there were hard times. And this young guy is starving to death. He's a rich man's son. But he's starving to death now. And nobody would give him anything. But he found a man who took care of pigs. And he gave, he says, I'll I'll work for you. He was feeding the pigs in the slop, in the stink, the most humiliating thing for a Jewish boy would be to take care of pigs and eat the food of the pigs. And in that moment, he comes to his senses and he says, I'm starving here. You know, in my father's house, all of the servants had enough to eat and more. And I have so burnt that bridge. I can never go back to the Father. But maybe he would be compassionate enough to give me a job if I could just be one of his servants. So he decides he's going to do this. 
he's, he, he practices his speech. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. That's all I'm asking. Can I have a job? Can I, I just will be quiet. I will be in the background. I will do whatever you want because I know that you are such a good father, which I didn't realize this before, that even your lowest servant is cared for and honored and respected. And that's all I'm asking for now. I, I, I don't boast anything. I have nothing. So he gets ready to go back to his father. And this is such a beautiful part of the story. As he's coming down the road into the village, you realize that anybody who would have recognized this boy would have, would have disdained him. He had brought such shame to their village. He comes walking back. And the father sees him a far way off. You know what that tells us? The father never stopped looking for the lost son. And when he saw him, he, he grabbed his garment, pulled it up enough so that he could run. He does a very undignified thing because children ran, servants ran, patriarchs didn't run. I mean, honestly, have you seen yourself run lately? It's not all that dignified. But the father sees his skinny, stinky son. And he runs to him. And the son wonders, what's he going to do to me? Maybe some of you have had fathers that they were quick to point their finger to accuse you. Maybe some of you had fathers who would slap to humiliate you. Maybe even some of you had fathers who would ball up their fist and hit you in a violent strike to make you pay. But what does this father do? This father runs. And he wraps his arms around his son. And he says, Ah, I've been waiting. My son, who was dead, is now alive. And then he gives instructions his servants, go get one of the best robes out of my closet and put it on him and get my ring and put it on his finger. Do you know what he's doing? He's covering this young man and honoring him at the same time. And then now he knows that the whole community will decide how they will treat this man. And you know what he does? He says, kill the fatted calf. Tell the community we're having a party here. Because this, my son that was dead, is now alive and we will all celebrate. You don't ever kill a fatted calf for just your, your nuclear family. Too much food. 
you only kill a fatted calf when you're going to feed the whole city. And to reset the feelings of the people toward your son. Because now the reputation and the honor of the father is reestablished over the son. Because Jesus, what did he come? What, what do we have? A manger. Because this is the message of Christmas. I've come to find you. I know some of you aren't sure if you want to be found yet, but inside you, you sure would like to be, but you just, you know, there's that back and forth. But the message of Christmas is I'm never going to stop trying to find you. You belong to me. You are mine. If you come to me, you won't get a pointed finger. You won't get a slap. I'm not going to make you pay. Because I'm going to pay for you. And that's what Jesus did. He went to a cross and he paid for us. He bore in his body on the cross our sin. The righteous bore the judgment of the unrighteous. He died. And three days later, he rose again. And he said, I've come to save you. Because since the garden happened, I'm the God who's been looking for you, searching for you, wooing you back. Now here's the truth. If this is our God who loves so well and pays so much, we're going to be okay. I want to invite you to bow your heads and we're just going to thank God together.